chapter number 42. If you find your place there, stand with me. We'll be reading about two verses or three here. Begin verse number 21. Amen. Genesis 42 verse 21. All right. And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother. And then we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us. And we would not hear, therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and you would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. They knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. Are you ready? To face your past. Let's go to the throne of grace one more time. Of course, those of you that may not have been here Sunday night, we had all of our young people to come up and share what a testimony. And Caleb Lane surrendered to preach. So I'm going to ask him to come on up here and lead us to the throne of grace. Amen? Quickly. All right. Pray for us, son. and guide us. Give us your will and let us use it for good. Amen. 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 Be seated. Twenty years have come to pass. A lot of water has flowed under the bridge. A lot is forgotten and never mentioned. Twenty years you can get married, start a family. 20 years, you can start a career. 20 years, you can build an empire. 20 years, you can become wealthy. 20 years, you can be top of the world. But one thing you can't do in 20 years, and that is erase a guilty conscience. Someone has said, conscience is the moral barometer of the heart that senses when we've done wrong. It's not a matter of education or, or ethnic origin. It is part of God's original creative hand and design. We get a conscience when we're born. Amen. Bible does tell us though that there is a possibility. Boy, what a sad place this is. First Timothy 4.2 speaking lies in hypocrisy having their conscience seared with a hot iron. It is the possibility to lie to yourself long enough, to, to push something away long enough, to, to ignore the voice and the prodding of God long enough until it absolutely doesn't bother you anymore. It is possible to get a very cold heart, it is possible to have a seared conscience. Well, what a sad place that is to be. What a sad place that is to be. I believe there are some people that have pushed the voice of their own conscience to where they no longer feel guilt with anything. And what seemed 
so wrong in days gone by. Now's not all that bad. What used to make them blush now doesn't bother them at all and hardly enters their mind. The brothers of Joseph thought, surely time will erase and remove the guilt of what they did to Joseph. After all, they threw him in a pit. They sold him. They watched as the Midianites chained him, put him in a cage, along with the other slaves, as he was carted off to Egypt. As a matter of fact, they had probably made the assumption by this time that he was dead. After all, slaves didn't live much more in this culture, much more than five to ten years. When their father spoke of Joseph, it was always in the past tense. Of course, all of this was part of the cover-up. Daddy's dead, so what is there to it? Hundreds of miles away, through a sequence of divine hand of God, they have no way of knowing that God, that Joseph is standing before them. They have no way of knowing or understanding that in the midst of all of this, God had a plan. And God's plan was being unfolded in their very midst. Wow. Tonight if we could get a hold that God has a plan for every man, woman, boy, and girl. We could just grasp hold of the fact that even though we face circumstances that makes no sense to us at the time, hallelujah, we serve a God that has a plan. He's not haphazard in anything He does. All through these events, from the pit to Potiphar's house to the prison house, now to the second most powerful man in the nation. Wow, only God could do that. Only God could do that. And we find that all of a sudden, 20 years later, now I need to stop here and just make a statement so you don't misunderstand this passage. Joseph is not vindictive. Joseph is not out to get back at his brothers. And we we learned that last week. God had already settled that in his heart. He had a baby boy born to him and he called his name Manassas. He says, God has made me to forget. Doesn't mean that it left his memory. But it does mean this. He's beginning to see the hand of God and what God has done. And when that little boy came along, he said, God has helped me to realize he's doing something bigger and greater here than me. And he recognized the greatness of God in his life. God healed him where he no longer was vindictive to his brothers. Then the second little boy was born named Ephraim, means fruitful. 
He said, God has so blessed me. And I believe it is here. I believe it's here that he began to realize they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He be, I believe it was right here. He said, all oh, that crowd, they, they, they was evil in what they'd done. And they meant it for evil. But I serve a God tonight. Hallelujah. Turned it all for good. Amen. You recognize tonight that God can take everything in your past and turn it all for good if He chooses to. And that's what He did here. And there's, and, but now, something has to happen. So I need you to understand tonight, all that's going to transpire here is not for Joseph's sake. Joseph was the victim, but God has already settled the heart of Joseph. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph's heart settled, but the children of Israel here these people, these, these boys would become a nation. And for them to become the nation, God had to do something for them. It was them that this story's about. Tonight, your past may not be the fact that you was the victim it might be that God wants to do something for you that is greater than you could ever imagine. And we find that all of a sudden, He brought them and made them. They had to face their past. Someone has said, Though the meals of God grind slowly, yet they grind exceedingly small. And I say, Amen. Numbers 20, 32, 23. But if you do not so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. Don't miss this. Somewhere, sometime, every individual that sins, it's going to be, it's going to come to, to, to play. It's going to come to display somewhere. Or it be here, or eternity in front of God. It doesn't make any difference. Be not deceived. God's not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Reaping days have come. Nine years have come and gone now. Seven years. Joseph here is 39 years of age. Seven years of prosperity has come. He has stored up all the, the corn and grain. There are two years into the famine. Isn't it amazing? Seven years of prosperity quickly ended in just a couple of years of famine. And now the father says, Hey boys, I hear there's some food in Egypt. Go down and buy it. No doubt them boys said, Man, we don't want to go to Egypt. That's the last place we want to go. Because they knew the Midianites sold the slaves in Egypt. And the last place they wanted to go was to Egypt. Daddy said, hey boys, we're out of food. So I need you to go to Egypt. So they began. And all of a sudden, they get there. And I, I'm not going to read the whole story, but it's found in 
chapters 42 and 43. They get there. Joseph immediately knows who they are. But they don't know who he is. Told you last week, the Hebrews never shaved. The Egyptians did. He would have been clean shaven. The last time they seen him, he was 17 years old. Have you changed since you were 17? We won't talk about that. And uh, he, last time they seen him, he was 17 years of age. Now he's 39 years old. Now he's a man. He's standing before them. He's talking to an interpreter. And there's no record they knew who he was. They had done decided he's dead. Surely he's dead. But he knew who they were. And he begins this, 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 this ordeal because he needs to know something about them. And when he does, now Joseph is not interested just in their physical needs. He could have given them corn. He could have, he had the power. He could have said, here, fill up their sacks, take their money, send them on their way. And that'd been the end of it. But he's interested in much more than that. Here's why. He was an Egyptian. Joseph was a Hebrew. Amen. He might have been in Egypt. He might have been second in command. But don't miss this. Joseph was not an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew in his heart. He was looking for some reconciliation. Oh, I love this. Down deep in his heart, he was not an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew. Not only that, I believe Joseph wanted his family back together again. But the only way that was going to happen is a reconciliation started. He had to have a reconciliation from his brothers. The only way that was going to happen do they still hate me? No doubt he thought. Will they own up to their, to their, to their meanness and their ugliness and their treachery? How they truly repented? Do they want our family back together again? In chapters 42 and 43, and again, I'm not going to preach these, but you'll see how, how this sequence of events that's God ordained brought them to this place. What, I, what I'm trying to get you to see tonight is whatever events is taking place in your life right now, it may very well be God is trying to get you to a certain place. A lot of times we fight events like this. A loss of prosperity and famine. Verses 1 through 5. Harsh treatment by Joseph. Three days spent in prison, breaking up of the family as Simon is left behind in Egypt. A demand to bring Benjamin to Egypt. Return of their money back in their sacks. Boy, one of the things that trouble has a way of doing, it has a way of stripping us of our self-confidence and our ability to think, I'll handle this. I got this one. You realize God can, can bring you in one moment's time where you can't handle nothing? Lord, I would, I would to God. You could have heard the testimony. I'm glad Jessica's with us. She got to hear that firsthand. 
He was powerful. She's a, she's a, she's having a, a shouting fit. She called everybody in the hallways down because she made six steps. She made six steps. And she was ecstatic of praising God. She made six steps. What did you complain about today? Wow. What did you have a praise and shout fit over today? Did you thank God today? Did we thank God today for anything? My. A loss of prosperity. Notice what God's trying to do. A loss of prosperity stripped them of their self-sufficiency. Harsh treatment reminded them how they treated Joseph. Three days in jail. Marred them, mirrored them, throwing him in a pit. Keeping Simon reminded them how they divided the family. Demand for Benjamin, boy, this is a big one, would test their honesty and how real they really was. The return of the money forced them to admit their guilt to each other. There's some turning points here. There's two of them. Number one, don't miss this. They had to admit the wrong. In verse number 42, and they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother. Now, I want, you to, I want you to picture this. Joseph is standing over here. He's robed in the, in the Egyptian garment. He's clean shaved. Uh, and he would, have, uh, he would have had an interpreter standing beside of him. And these boys are all standing in front of him. And, and, and it may have been in the prison house. And he may have been around there. And, and, and they start talking. And the discussion goes like this. So I, Matt, boys, I, I, I tell you, we, we, we shouldn't have done that to Joseph. Boy, I tell you, we, was, we were guilty of what we'd done. We saw as he begged and, and cried for us to bring my We watched as he begged and we laughed at him and we made fun of him. And now all of us, and Joseph is, is listening over here. He knows the story. He lived it. And they're talking. And about that time, Reuben said, I told you, did I, did I tell you not to do that to that child? Did I tell you, you just listen to me? They're having a discussion. And Joseph is over here. Well, I'm glad that ain't my cell phone. If I had my cell phone, I'd be talking about it for the next six months. <laughs> and he's over here. And he has to turn. His heart is breaking. Now, I told you, he's not trying to get back at these boys. He's wanting to know if they're ready to do business with God. He's not vindictive. See, you, you need to understand something. This facing in the past was not between them and Joseph. It was them and God. And they had to admit they're wrong. And, boy, what a confession of sin. 
And I began the road to repentance. No doubt, three days in jail, the Holy Spirit jostled their memory, and they, they no doubt remembered how, not that they just hated Him, not that they just plotted against Him, not that they just betrayed Him, not that they just threw Him in the pit, but they remembered His screams in the pit. Hollering, Why are you doing this to me? What have I done? And the Bible says they literally sat down and had lunch while he's in that pit. So the first step facing your past is you got to admit your own. I want you to listen to me now. I'm really trying to help you. Hey, moms and dads, I'll really help you to learn something here if you get it. Okay? Well, well, mom, I made a mistake. No. No, that's not repentance. Well, I tell you this because of somebody. No. That's not repentance. Repentance starts when you admit your own wrong. Not because of somebody else. Not what somebody else done. Not because somebody else done this or somebody else done that. And I'm, I, 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 I know we love our children and we should. I want you to love your children dearly. But you will never help them if they're unwilling to face their past. The prodigal son, when he came to himself, I can't believe they put me slopping hogs. Ain't what he said. I can't believe Daddy done this and his rules. That ain't what he said. He said, I've sinned against God and against my family. And all sin begins with against God. All sin. And he has to start. And the Bible says, and, and, and so the first, the first turning point has to be an admission of wrong. And I know we love our children, and it may be you, but as long as you're saying, well, it really wasn't that bad. Well, I made a mistake. A mistake and sin are totally different. A mistake and is, is um, a, a, a mistake is, is, uh, um, a mistake is you wrote a check not knowing, forgetting that you wrote one two weeks ago and a check bounces. That's a mistake. Sins, you go and rob the bank. Sins, you write a check knowing you ain't got no money in there. You write it anyway. That's sin. A mistake is you do, you write a check and you, have, you, you thought the money was in there. You're honest, but, but it wasn't. That's a mistake. Sin is when you deliberately do that. So number one has to be a confession of sin. Notice something else, the second turning point. The consideration of God's hand. Now, three days, they're in jail. Joseph is listening to all of this stuff. And Mike comes up to him. And he says, boys, I'm, I tell you, I fear God. So here's what we're going to do, fellas. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a proposition. One of you stay... But you go home and bring your brother, your little brother. And they said, okay. 
Now I don't know if Simon agreed or Joseph chose him. But Simon stayed. They filled their sacks with corn and Joseph says, put the money back in their sack. They're on the way home. They stopped to feed the animals. And somebody said, my gosh, my money's in here. They opened all the sacks and all the money was there. They go home and I mean, they're having a conniption here, you know. Hey, Dad, our money's in our sack. He's going to think we stole. My goodness. And yada, yada. And, and all of a sudden, don't you listen to what they said. Here's what they said. Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and restore every man's money into his sack and to give them provision for the way. And thus did he unto them. And they laded their asses with corn and departed thence. And one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender, prov- uh, provender in the inn. He espied his money. For behold, it was in his sack's mouth. Now listen what he said. He said unto his brethren, My money is restored. And lo, it is even in my sack. And their heart failed them. And they were afraid, saying to one another. Now I want you to listen. If you mark your Bible, mark the next statement. It's the greatest statement. They've never said this before. What is this that God hath done unto us? What is this that God hath done unto us? It's the first time these brothers ever mention God in this. God has been pushed to the edge their whole life. They admit the truth. They remembered how they hated Him, how they envied Him, how they plotted against Him, how they cast Him in the pit, how they callously ignored His cry, how they sold Him as a slave, how they lied to their father. Time has not erased their guilt. Holy Spirit taps them on the shoulder, says, remember what she did to Joseph. We're living in a day that lying has almost become a non-issue today. It really has. It's amazing. Psalms 51.6 has almost come to pass. Behold, thou desirest truth in inward parts, and in the hidden parts thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Twenty years of brothers have covered up their sin, and now God is using Joseph to awaken their past for them to face. And for the first time, they said, God, what are you doing to us? God, what are you doing? Second turning point, this is a big one. They must bring Benjamin because here's what Joseph needed to know. How they treated Benjamin would tell him if they'd really repented. Benjamin was his only full brother. Benjamin and and Joseph were full brothers. And how they treated him. Listen to what Daddy said. 
Jacob, their father, said, Me, have you bereaved of my children? Joseph is not. He's done decided Joseph's dead. And Simon is not. And you will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. Not knowing that Joseph is running the whole show. When he gets there with Benjamin, Joseph says, Bring me into the banquet house. And the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews because it was an abomination. So if you could imagine a big table set with all these settings here, 11 of them with the oldest to the youngest. And Joseph sitting over here at a separate table with his guards and Egyptians people, but he's listening. And as the servants bring them in, they said, okay, Reuben, you said here, Simon, you said over here, you said over here. Hey, Benjamin, you said over here. And immediately they all recognized it was in the order of their birth. Wow. Wow. I can't prove this. I wish, I think, I have to believe this. And when we get to heaven, you'll probably find out I'm right. I think Joseph's place at the table was left empty, but I believe there was a place set for him. And I believe it brought to mind every single one of them boys. The Bible says, as they said, it's been 20 years. He, he sees Benjamin. It's been 20 years since he's seen him. All of a sudden, the Bible says, Joseph, Joseph's having a time here. Don't you listen to what the Bible says. Joseph made haste for his bowels did yearn upon his brother. And he saw where to weep and enter into his chamber and wept there. And he washed his face and went out and reframed himself and said, set on bread. And a banquet began. Then one final detail. And this would be the end of the test. Because you have to remember, why did they do what they did to Joseph? Envy and jealousy. He's a dreamer. And he said, God gave me a dream. Hey, boys, you're all going to bow to me one day. And they said, yes, in your dreams. And then he said, hey, Daddy, I had another dream, and the sun and the moon bowed with everybody else. And the father said, son, are we to bow to you? And by the way, when them 12 boys got there, when them boys got there, guess what's the first thing they did? They bowed. But now, Joseph does something else. They bring their food out. And they bring them all out an equal portion. But when they get to Benjamin, they bring him five times more food than all the rest. The Bible says five messes. The word mess has the idea of a complete meal. I mean, down at the end of the table, if the rest of them got one banana, Benjamin got five. If it wasn't one, got one 
uh, cat head biscuit, Benjamin got five. If one got a chicken leg, Benjamin got five. Everything, I mean, they're just surrounded him with food. And here is what Joseph is looking. He's saying, this is going to tell me, this is going to tell me if they've really repented. If they're still envious and jealousy, that's going to tear them up. One of them must speak up. Why is he getting five messes for? But they didn't. Guess what they started doing? They started rejoicing. They started praising God. They started laughing. They started enjoying. The Bible says they had that meal. And I mean, they was having a good time. And no doubt they looked down there and said, well, we're glad Benjamin got what he got. Well, we're glad God blessed him. Well, we're glad God's done for him down there. I want to ask you a question. Listen to me. The moment you start getting jealous and envious of anyone, you're setting yourself up to be thoroughly disappointed. You know, I want to do well to praise God when God blesses other people. I don't care when, how, whatever. Hallelujah. Rejoice with them and move on. Here they was all of a sudden. And he gives them five times. Will they allow God to bless others more than them? Because it was envy that started the whole thing. We stand back and we look at this story and it's amazing how God began to awaken a guilty conscience. He does it little by little to face the past. I want you to listen to me. I alluded to it earlier. Jesus told a story about a young man. Give me my inheritance. And the father did. And everything I've read, the father had ever the father had ever right, if he chose to do so, to give that inheritance to him. I've heard preachers say the son didn't have a right to it, but that's not so. According to what I've been able to read, the father could have given it to him any time he wanted to. But here's what he said to his father. I would to God you was dead so I could get what you have. Have you ever run anybody like that? If you pass it a while, you'll, you'll find out. I, I remember going to the hospital down Friday and the man, family had called me and the man had visited here some and, and he's not even cold yet. Rigor mortis has not even set in yet. And the family's in the waiting room having a knockdown drag out over his stuff. I said, Preacher, what do you think? I said, I think y'all ought to be ashamed of yourself. And I'm going home and I ain't having nothing to do with none of this. And I turned around and walked out. I, I'm not having a part of that. I'm, not, I'm just not having a part of that. Give me my inheritance. And he goes to the far country. To spend his fortune on wine, women, and song. And he found out what so many discover as long as you got, you're our friends as long as you got money. But when your money runs out, the friends run out just as quickly as your money runs out. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us there's a famine come into the land. He was in need. And if we would get a hold of this, 
Sometimes God brings them to need to get them to come to themselves. I know this is going to be hard because some of you struggle with this. I know that. But we really don't help the next generation if we keep funding their sin. You're not going to help them. You're not going to help them. And I love this. The Bible, there's nothing in the Bible that says the Father went and got him. God orchestrated the events. And he brought him friendless, homeless, and penniless. He got a job slopping the hogs. And that was the most lowest, that was the lowest job a Hebrew could possibly do. And the Bible says that when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger. See, the famine turned out to be mercy in disguise. He said, brought him to himself. God orchestrated all of this to bring him at the right place at the right time. What if the father had went and got him one day earlier? He would have never helped that son. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I know we love our children, and I think we should love our children. But we will never help our children as long as we fund sin. You'll never help them. As a matter of fact, you will become the means of them staying where they're at, even though God brings them to famine over and over and over again. And we keep bailing them out, keep bailing them out, keep bailing them out. Then God can never bring them to themselves because that's where He really wants to get them so He can help them, truly help them. And I know that's hard. They were ready, Joseph. God orchestrated. 20 years they buried their memories. For 20 years they had a guilty cut. For 20 years they lived as if the past didn't matter. But now they're ready to face their past. Isn't it amazing? They came to himself. And when they came to them, they said, Now, listen. Someone said to me one time, Preacher, How can you awaken the conscience of another? You and I can't. Only God can do that. And here's why that is so challenging to all of us here. Because we have no idea, but God knows what it would take to awaken a conscience. Because He's the only one that can. We can't. Awaken a conscience. But we can simply do what Joseph did. Serve the Lord where you're at. Bloom where you're planted. And wait on the Lord and keep praying. Now, back at the table, there's some more surprises to come. We'll talk about in two weeks. In two weeks. Not next. In two weeks. There's some more surprises to come. I wonder tonight, maybe it's not you that needs to face your past. But God has awakened your conscience tonight to something you need to deal with. Maybe you've got children that needs their conscience awakened. 
Maybe you've got some youngins that need their consciousness awakened. And maybe tonight would be a wonderful time for you to one more time say, God, I cannot awaken their conscience, but you can. You know where they're at. You say, but preacher, they're really in the far country. I've not found anybody in the far country he can't get if he don't want to. And tonight, it just may be. But then maybe, just maybe tonight, God has done something else. Perhaps God has awakened your conscience that if you died right now, you don't know that you'd go to heaven. Preacher, why do you keep asking that? Because I don't want you to die and go to hell. I don't want you to die and go to hell. I don't want you to die. I don't want you to die thinking you're saved when in fact you're not. I don't want you to play in the game. I don't want you to, I don't want you to guess. Well, I think so. I think, I hope so. Maybe, I think maybe I'm, I don't want none of that stuff. I want to tell you tonight, hallelujah. I know, I know, I know that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And I know I'm saved. And tonight, if you don't know that, I prayed all day God would awaken your consciousness to say, man, I'm, I'm lost. I'm just playing the game. In the night, maybe God's awakening your consciousness that you're not saved and you need to be saved. Maybe God's awakening your consciousness to something and you need to face your past. I'm not talking about you standing up and making it public to everybody here. I'm talking about you dealing that with God and saying, God, I'm sorry. I want you to forgive me. It was sin. Because all sin ultimately is first against God. And until we recognize that all sin is ultimately, first of all, against God and then against others, but first of all against God Himself. So tonight, it's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, never eye closed. 